We turn in the back of the hymnal this evening to Lord's Day 39, page 891, as we consider God's will for us in the fifth commandment, and we'll be turning also to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we find that commandment in God's word, considering just a portion of what we can learn and know as we reflect upon the word of God. We recognize that here in the law of God, we are guided in the path that we are to go. We give testimony to God's work in our lives in one very uh, visible way when we honor those in authority over us. That, of course, is a very uh, increasingly challenging uh, call because we see uh, so many ways in which the authority over us does not submit itself to God. And we're going to talk about some of that tonight, uh, though we must remember that uh, as God has uh, given us his word, it is uh, to endure, and that call is very clearly uh, given to us to honor those in authority over us. Listen to the word of God in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. We read this, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And the catechism asks, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? The answer that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me, submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings. For by their hand, God wills to rule us. There are people of God in this commandment tonight. We, we come to the transition between what we call our duties to God and our duties that we owe to our fellow man. And they are not unrelated. God declares that as he is one to be obeyed, so we are to obey those that he puts an authority over us. That is one way that we show our submission to him. He comes in the prologue to the law, the prologue to the Ten Commandments, declaring that he set us free and that we are to honor him, to love him, and to be faithful in obedience to him. For he has set us free. This law is given to show us the way that we are to keep from falling back into bondage to sin once again. We're set free from sin, and we are to continue to live apart from it. We honor God by putting our faith in His Son for the forgiveness of our sins, and through His Spirit, putting Him first in our lives. His authority is not erased. He doesn't set us free to say, now you may go and do as you please. He says, you have been set free from sin, now turn not to it. His commandments are to be obeyed. Well, today we hear so much about liberation. Our social liberators, if we will, talk more about their, the more they talk, we we hear in them a dislike, a distaste, really a despising of authority. Their their goal or their, their teaching is that we are to turn from authority, that we are to go our own way. They want to destroy authority. They talk about rulers as oppressors. If we listen to the, the broad discussion on the airwaves today or on our phones, we hear that we are to 
turn away from those in authority and live according to our own way of thinking. They label authority as as the problem with our culture. The attitude behind so much of this talk of oppression is the attitude that authority is bad and rules are bad, and they demand that we follow their authority, their teaching, to submit to their way of thinking. But underneath that cry for what they call justice, for a addressing of grievances, what they truly desire to do is to throw off God's authority. What we see first off this evening is that we're born into relationship, born into an authoritative relationship. The sin of throwing off authority is not just among those so-called social justice warriors. We have a heart that is prone to that as well. None of us likes authority. Our natural heart cries for freedom from authority, but authority is part of God's creation. All the world is under His authority. The lie of Satan was that by rebelling against God, by rebelling against His authority and His design, that we would somehow find a true and absolute freedom that would give us what we need to become who we truly want to be, that we would become wise if we went our own way. This, is, this has become then the rejection or the universal rejection of God when our first parents fell into sin, so we fell into sin with them, and rejection of authority is a universal um, reality. Resistance to um, a rejection of God has become universal. We inherit this depravity, but it's wrong. God places us under an authority structure when he says this, In the second table of the law, honor your father and your mother. The commandment says what this means is that we are to show honor, love, and faithfulness to father and mother and all those in authority. And Paul applies this fifth commandment when he says this, what it means to honor your parents is to obey them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, he says. Honor them, for this pleases the Lord. We're born into this relationship. God gives this authority over us. Now, so much is under attack in the, in the sense of authority today, but the primary structure that is under attack is the family. This culture in which we live wants to destroy the family. The culture in, encourages self-expression and self actualization and unhitches what it means to be human from the teachings of God's word, from God's authoritative word. Children are cut off from their parents. They're told the schools are, are, are telling parents that you can't know what your students are learning or what they're discovering about themselves, and they place themselves in that position of authority. They take a wrongful authority to themselves. But we recognize that as parents, we are to be teaching our children. There is two aspects to this commandment. There is, the command, there is that part that says that we are to submit to our parents, and there is that uh, very clear teaching in the Word of God as to what those in authority are to teach when we deal with this commandment. Parents, you may not be able to teach uh, every subject uh, on your on your own, but you are to be your child's principal teacher. You're to bring up 
your child, your children in the fear of the Lord and the training and instruction of the Lord, as we read in Ephesians 6, verse 4. You are not to neglect the authority that's been given to you and the directive that's been given to you in the Word of God. You must not forget the purpose of the power that you have, that is, to train and instruct in the Lord. Children, you are to obey your parents. God has declared that you live in relationship to them and you are to be submissive to them as they are given to lead you. To learn what that life and relationship looks like, you learn that in the home. That is where it's supposed to begin, where it's supposed to start and where we build a society. This is a large responsibility for both parent and child. Secondly, we see that children are commanded to love parents. This is seen primarily in obedience, but there is more. You can love, you love your parents by praying for them. Praying that they would keep God and His Word in front of you. And encouraging them to do devotions at mealtimes and at bedtime. Remember their purpose in parenting. So there's a responsibility beyond just, just that word honoring. It's, it's loving, and part of loving is that, is that call then to be praying for them, that God would be working in them, to ask them questions about how to navigate life's challenges. Whether or not you recognize this, they were kids once too, and they've gone through this, and they've learned from their parents how to navigate through difficult times. God has given them experience and calls them to teach you. That's an application then that has a very practical, or that's a teaching that has very practical application. That means you need to be off your phones to listen to them. It means you need to give them eye contact. It means you need to give them a listening ear to be active listeners. Parents, that means you need to be available. You see, there's There's both sides of this commandment for children, but also for parents. The commandment directs many aspects of our lives, not the least of which is how we spend our time together. We are not to be alone together. How many times haven't we seen that? We go to the restaurant and there's a family sitting around the uh, the, the, table, waiting for their meal, and they're all on their phones. They're all there, but nobody's really present. And we say to ourselves, what's wrong with this picture? Well, it is... Some other influence is primary. Some other, some other uh, 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 means of influence is a priority for them. Listen to what Scripture says, however, concerning the instruction that is to be given and how we are to respond. Proverbs is filled with it in the opening chapters. Proverbs 1 says this, Hear, my son, my daughter, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That's part of what it means to honor and to love. It means to listen, to learn. Then turning over a few pages to Proverbs chapter 4, we hear all of the the wise instruction that is to to be given. There it says, Hear, O sons, O daughters, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, that you gain understanding, that you learn how to see the world in a right way. For I give you good precepts, Do not forsake my teaching. In that is the notion that you, parents, are giving good precepts, that you are giving clear teaching according to God's word, that you need to know that word. 
Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, says the writer of Proverbs, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you, she will honor you if you embrace her, she will place on your head a graceful garland, she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, my daughter, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Hear the echo of Deuteronomy 5 there. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. We've, we've outlined that passage before here. It's, it's uh, been outlined in this way. How to get going, verses 1 through 9 in chapter 4. How to keep going, verses 10 to 19. And then how not to get lost along the way, verses 20 to 27. Parents, there's homework here. Not just children getting homework, parents getting homework. Studying these opening chapters. What is it that you are to teach your children? How is it that you are to set example for them? Look at Proverbs 1 through 4. Warn them about enticements that come. Warn them about those simple uh, instructions you heard from your parents. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Show them the persevering, long game approach to gaining wisdom. It takes time, it doesn't happen immediately. It requires effort and discipline. Show them that discipline. Show them those things that you use, those spiritual disciplines that you have, that they would learn from you how to hide the word in their hearts. Children, loving your father and mother means submitting to their good teaching and discipline, the catechism says. means being patient with their failings. The Lord doesn't give you your parents it doesn't give your parents authority over you because they know everything. He gives you your parents according to his wisdom, to his design. He gives you to them, uh, uh, them to you and you to them. He wants you to listen together to his leading, to grow together in wisdom, learning to depend upon the Lord, cultivating humility You honor and love and show faithfulness to them because God has placed them over you. I was thinking about that this week. When you think about that that relationship of of, uh, uh, passing on and and what it means, if you were to do a study of the book of Kings, I encourage you to do that. What does it say in the book of Kings so many times? And this king followed his father in either doing right or in following him in wickedness. He walked in the ways of his father. Now, there's something right about that. There's something good about that. If the father is teaching truth, the child should be walking in that way and learning the path to life. There is also something very true about that. If the father, if the mother is not teaching in that right way, that the child will learn that and pick that up. It doesn't mean that they're free from any responsibility for the decisions they make. But it does bring home how important it is for us to set right example. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, 
parents and children, God builds his church through this structure, this authority structure. Then we see thirdly tonight that God has placed over us not only fathers and mothers, but broader authority. Question and answer 104. Answer 104 says that we are to show, I am to show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me to submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, to be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. Well, that then directs us to another passage in Scripture, Romans 13, where we hear Paul speaking about how we are to relate to those in authority over us. Romans 13, 1-4, hear this word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's a uh, two-pronged understanding that we have to have there again. First off, how we are to respond to those in authority, and they, in authority, how they are to be submissive to God and do that which is good. There's much that could be said here. Calvin's treatment on uh, Romans 13, not surprisingly, is, is a good one. Also, good and modern and, and thorough consideration of how this passage relates to the fifth commandment is found in Joachim Dalma's book, The Ten Commandments, Manual for Christian Life. I commend both of those to you. Because of the fallenness of the world, there is a need for real authority. But there was authority even before that time. God created it within his world, the, our first parents were to obey him. And we see through scripture how then that authority structure spans out to our first parents and their children. But this idea of authority, a need for real authority, what do I mean by real authority? That is an authority that has a power to compel obedience, to compel obedience and to provide protection. When you hear the word power, what does that make you think of today? Power and authority. We think, oh boy, here we go. What, do, what kind of power are we talking about here? And that is what I want to spend some time on as we look at this together. Power can have negative connotations in our minds because we see it being abused. We know that it can be abused, but power is necessary for authority to function, to be effective. We are to be subject to the governing authorities. Submission to them is submission to God, and they have a power to compel obedience. Now, there's a number of different ways we could go, and I don't want us to think of any one case study which we would use to to tease out all of the implications here. But I want us to think about that idea of authority. 
we know that there is authority and we know that that authority and the power that comes with it is not always exercised rightly. We have to bear patiently with those in authority and their failings. But I want to use a working definition of authority as we think about this together. Joachim Dauma in his book says this, of authority, gives this working definition. Authority is the authorization for the appropriate use of power. God-ordained authority is authorized to use power. That definition again, authority is the authorization for, and he puts in parentheses, the appropriate use of power. What about that word appropriate? <laughs> he says it's not there as an as a elemental part of the definition of authority. Authority is the authorization is the authorization to use, uh, authorized use of power. But in a fallen world, we have to include that word appropriate. It is, it is the authorization, authority is the authorization of the use, of appropriate use of power. People can and do abuse authority and exercise unlawful power. In this in this thinking about how we honor those in authority, we must ask ourselves as well, what is the purpose of authority? How does it function? Well, we remember that authority has a serving character. God gives no authority for self-indulgence or self-promotion. It's to be used for the honor of God and for service to neighbor. Parents must use their authority to serve God and their children. Governments must use their authority to serve God and citizen. The state does bear the sword, verse 4 of Romans 13. Bearing the sword, and that is to protect. The sword must be used judiciously, not indiscriminately, not carelessly. The show of force, of power. Good government uses its power appropriately when it combats evil and protects life, all life, so that it can develop in a peaceful context. As I've said, in any discussion about honoring or any consideration about honoring authority, there are two sides. We've seen this already, parents, children honoring parents, but there's word to parents as well. They must teach what is good and discipline rightly. So those in authority in the civic realm are under the authority of God when exercising their power. They must not abuse it. So the question then comes, if authority does not use power appropriately, does it mean they cease to be an authority? Well, no. That may disappoint some of you, but... The fact of the matter is, if we were to think about it for just a, just a moment, we would see that that has to indeed be our, our position. Parents don't cease to be authority, even if they fall short of what God has called them to. Government doesn't cease to have authority, even if it falls short of what it's called to do. You see, our immediate reaction to failure of those in authority is not revolt, we must still respect and honor authority. That does not mean, however, that we cannot disagree 
or call for change. Sometimes that must be done when there's immoral use of power, when there is abuse of power in other ways. And thinking about this teaching and honoring authority, I was asking myself, what are some of the things that have led in recent years to a this-means-war type of response to all exercise of power? Now, you may disagree with me on some of these things. These are personal observations, but one of the first things I've noted in the culture, in particularly in this country, is that many no, no longer understand what it means to live in a republic. We are in a representative democracy where to work through our elected public servants. And that's what they are. We need to make that clear again to those who are elected. They're to serve the public. They are not there to serve themselves. We're to work through them. They are to serve the public. That doesn't mean that they serve my interest over against everyone else's. Somehow, democracy has come to be understood as every person power. Now, democracy is about the rule of the people, but it doesn't mean that every person can now tell every other person that it must go this way. Such a society could not hold together as we're seeing even now. Democracy... Rule by the people does not mean that every person makes decisions for everyone else, and if someone doesn't like what is being done, they can burn down the institutions. We work through our institutions. Second, another observation, our elected public servants are increasingly distant from us. The more consequential decisions seem to be beyond our ability to give input. For that reason, there's a feeling of helplessness. When we cannot talk to our elected officials, we can quickly begin to distrust them. And then very soon after that, we begin to attribute to them evil motives to what they do. Third, another observation, at highest level, politics seems to be more about keeping one's position of power than about serving the public. There's a strong lobby involved today, too, where there's a lot of money that changes hands to keep people in power, to get those elected officials to do what those with the most money want to see done. I only give those observations because in the light of this commandment, we say, well, why is this this great on me so much then? I I should have a heart that wants to honor and to obey. Well, there is that aspect of when a culture gets away from honoring God as the supreme authority and starts to serve itself, it, becomes, it begins to disintegrate the culture. It begins to disintegrate society. We don't integrate, but we break apart. And we have a great responsibility then as those being governed to point ourselves and our elected officials to God's word as supreme authority and what that says to each of us in our respective places. When you hear these reflections that I've shared, perhaps you think I'm rather jaded about politics. I think we should have Christians in politics. I do think we should be involved. I'm only making these observations to give us some awareness of why we find it so hard 
to think of this commandment and then the catechism's teaching that we are to honor, love, and show faithfulness to all those in authority over us. The government does not have absolute authority. It is under God. Yet we do have to wrestle with what Paul says here in Romans 13. Though he suffered great injustice in many different instances, he yet writes that we are to submit to authority. For God has appointed it and given it its power. So what accounts for, again, this this wrestling? What accounts for this struggle in our own hearts? Well, what we're seeing think today is that what was once ally is increasingly enemy. Let me clarify what I mean by that. There was a time when the government was more protective of the church, more, I don't want to say promotive of the church, promoting the church, but rather it was allowing the church to gather without abusing its authority and making demands upon the church. That seems to be coming to an end. That said, it's not as bad as it was in Paul's day, and Paul still says we must submit. Challenging to be sure. How do we think upon this? Well, as as has just been said, using that word as thinking Christians. What is it that we are being asked to do? What is it that we are called to do? What is it we are being asked to do? And do those things fit side by side as we seek above all else to serve God? Is earthly authority calling us to turn from God's path? What does that then mean? What does that call for us to do? Is earthly authority calling us to function as a society and not as individuals, now we need to listen and consider how that is to be done. We cannot function alone. We are to function together. The state has recently not been doing a very good job following its purpose to protect and to preserve There are many instances which I won't get into here tonight. I think we're all aware of what those are. And what has resulted is a society that has been made to believe that it has rights that have not been given to it from God. Or that it can take rights from others who are unable to defend those divinely given rights. It is a rejection of proper authority and it is taking to oneself an authority that has not been designated It has led to violence and confusion. Authority is not the problem. It is an abuse of authority. It is an inappropriate exercise of power. That is the problem. And it requires of us a tremendous amount of patience and perseverance for one of the fruit of the Spirit is that self-control that we are to exercise in a culture that seems to be decaying all around us. It is to show what it means to submit ourselves to God first and then to show a proper response to those around us. In that way, we are 
showing others what it means to have God first. Listen to what the Belgian Confession says concerning civil government. Article 36, one of our other secondary standards. I think it's very helpful here. It says this, We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that is pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. They should do this while completely refraining from every tendency toward exercising absolute authority and while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them with the means belonging to them. They should do it in order that the word of God may have free course, the kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress, and every anti-Christian power may be resisted. Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word, praying for them that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways, that we may live in a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. Very helpful summary, one that needs to be interacted with. What do we think of when we hear that phrase, separation of church and state? Well, it's certainly not found in, uh, here in the Belgian Confession and in our, in our standards in the way of that there should be no uh, uh, speaking, no communication between state and church. Civil authority is subject to God as everything else is subject to him. No authority is autonomous. The church should speak to unethical practices, to sinful policies in the civil realm. We should speak against injustice in the civil realm. We're not breaking the fifth commandment when we disagree with policies that violate God's word. For all authority is subject to God's authoritative word. Practiced then biblically, Christianity does not abuse power but shows the world that the created design of God is the only way for society to endure and humanity to flourish. Christianity and the church point all people to see that our world belongs to God. It is submissive to him. Redemption, redemption, which is our greatest need, is only possible as we submit to him and follow his commands. While heaven is not a place on earth, we call all people everywhere to repent and submit to Christ, the King, who will establish the kingdom of God upon his return. So then, as we close, just giving some of these thoughts for consideration this evening, we have to ask ourselves, how then has Christ satisfied these, uh, this commandment? For we know that it is not in law-keeping that we're saved, 
but rather by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he has done it in this way. He has submitted himself perfectly to his heavenly Father. He has bore with the failings of men, those in authority, to the point that he endured all suffering upon the cross, giving himself, according to God's divine decree, not man's plan, but God's divine decree, to give himself a sacrifice for our sins, as we heard this morning. And the Father has delivered him as he has entrusted himself to him. We ourselves must entrust ourselves to our Heavenly Father. For we know that as we look to him and follow after his commands, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, that we too will be delivered unto that glorious coming kingdom. Well, we must end there tonight. But even as we do, let us give thanks to God for our perfect Savior. Ask God to help us keep this command. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, this is a challenging commandment in the home. There is no doubt that our heart's desire naturally is to resist authority, to stand over against authority, that we lack discernment because we are, our lives are so often discolored by our sinful perspective. What a challenge before us, even more than to submit ourselves to those in authority over us in a broader sense. Yet we are to show honor and love and faithfulness to father and mother, to all those in authority over us, to bear patiently with their failings, for you have ordained to rule us by them. Lord, grant this flock, grant us here such wisdom as we go forth into a new week, as we speak boldly, but also showing self-control, showing that we're not living for ourselves when we speak but rather that we are living under your authority and for good in service to others. May that be guiding us. May your Holy Spirit guide us. And may we remember that the sufferings of Christ we share in. As we stand for truth, there will be resistance. May we not seek revenge, but may we walk circumspectly with peace that passes all understanding, knowing that you are in control of our lives and guide our every step to the further sanctification of our lives unto that coming day when you will reveal to us that reward that is given to us for the sake of Christ. Hear us, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen.